Good morning, Old North. It is a wonderful pleasure of mine to be here with you today opening the Word of God. And I pray that as you are in your settings and as we gather around the Word, that our hearts will be united around the most important things. And so I invite you to find your copy of the Word and open up to Colossians. The third chapter we'll be reading out of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 and speaking to the reality of the power of the resurrection in the life of the Christian. And so I invite you to find that. And as you are, just a few comments in preparation for our time in the Word. Last week, Christians everywhere celebrated the most important day in Christianity. It's the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I think all of us would agree that the resurrection is the most important event in all of Christianity. And Paul emphasizes the importance of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he speaks to the importance of the resurrection, the essential nature of the resurrection, he highlights that the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms the identity of Christ as the Messiah, the message of Christ, and the plan of God with regards to the gospel from the beginning of time. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most essential doctrine in Christianity. And as such, it is not just a one-day-a-year celebration. It shouldn't be. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is actively working itself out in the daily life of Christians in practical and eternal realities. And so our text today, the Apostle Paul is writing to a body of believers that he's never met. And so he's writing to tell them what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to hold to the preeminence of Jesus Christ in a culture that does not. And so specifically, Paul emphasizes that as Christians, they share in the resurrection of Christ. And he teaches on the practical realities of that in all of our lives, in the Christian's life. So I invite you to find your copy of the Word of God. Let's read together now Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, I hope that today you will see as we work through this text that in the resurrected Christ, the Christian lives in a resurrected position, purpose, and peace. So let's begin by talking about this new position that Christians walk in, this resurrected position that we find ourselves in. Paul here in verse 1 speaks to that specifically and says, the position to which Christians now reside is actually one in which we have been raised with Christ. Why start there? Why begin with that reality? As Paul begins to help Christians understand what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in chapter 1 verse 10, it's necessary to begin to know how that is even a possibility. How is it possible that we walk in a manner worthy to the Lord? Well, that's because we have been raised to a new life in the resurrected Christ. And it isn't Christ's resurrected life alone. As Christ was raised again, those who believe in the power of his resurrection have indeed been resurrected to a new life with him. As we celebrated the Resurrection Sunday last Sunday, we are celebrating the transferred power of his life given to those who confess and call him Lord. His resurrection from the dead was our resurrection from the dead. His defeat of death was our defeat of death. His defeat of sin was our defeat of sin. And this is a common theme in Pauline text. As you read Paul in the New Testament, you will see this repeated over and over and over again, particularly in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul says, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The power of being raised with Christ is that the old life has been done away with or or given death, given to death, and now we walk in a newness of life. The old life has been left in the grave. Now this is a vital starting point for the conversation today, because if we do not understand that it is through Christ's work that we have been raised again, then we will think it is our work that requires us to engage in order to achieve that resurrection. And everything will in turn get flipped upside down. The starting point for the Christian life is this. It is the work of Christ. It is his death. It is his resurrection and his ascension and ultimately his intercession on our behalf that results in the newness of life. If we don't get that starting point correct, then the entirety of our Christian life will be lived in a legalistic attempt to earn that which is unearnable, namely the forgiveness and the favor of God. And so Paul says at the very beginning of our time that you have been raised with Christ. But not only raised with Christ, your position is also that you are hidden in Christ. Now that is a hard thing for us to understand because being hidden is a difficult concept to get your mind wrapped around. Throughout scriptures though, we see that the idea of hiddenness is one of being protected. In the Psalms, the psalmist consistently refers to being hidden in the shelter of God, being held in God's dwelling. And in using that phraseology, the psalmist is pointing us to an important point here, and that is in the, being hidden in Christ means that we are held safe, we are held secure. And so just two reflections on what it means to be hidden. The first is that 
To be hidden in Christ means that Christ is in heaven operating as our intercessor before the holy God. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 beautifully puts it this way. Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is it that his intercession is doing for us? His intercession in heaven is speaking to the security of our salvation. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he actively prays for us. I want you to think about that reality for one second. At this very moment, on this Sunday morning, Jesus Christ is making intercession for you before the Holy Father God. And his intercession is received by God because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ over our sins, which is perfectly acceptable before God because Christ himself is holy and perfect. And so his intercession, his, our hiddenness in Christ means that we are being interceded for by Christ. It also means that Christ holds us fast. Our salvation was secured by the empty tomb. The second that Christ defeated death, our salvation was secured in him. In the book of Jude, in the New Testament, in a doxology that we have said numerous times here in this body, and we'll say it once again today, but in Jude, verse 24, says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, and now and forevermore. Now notice in that passage here, as Jude concludes this letter to his people, and teaching them on what it means to persevere as a Christian, Jude says that the intercession and the held fastness of Christ's work for the Christian never ends. Before all time, now and forever, our salvation is secure because we are hidden in Jesus Christ. And so if we were to sum up the resurrected position of the Christian, it is that we have been raised through Christ to live for Christ. The old life is over and the new life has begun. Which leads us to our second reflection here in this passage, and that is that we not only have a resurrected position, we have a resurrected purpose. So I want you to notice here, one of the things that Paul does whenever he writes, and you'll notice this common trend by Paul, is that whenever he writes a deep theological position, specifically here talking about your position in heaven, he always does so immediately then addressing the practice of that theology. And that's an important thing for us to understand, is that we oftentimes think of the theology and the practice of following Christ as two separate things. Uh, they walk hand in hand. And Paul outlines that for us even in this passage today. The theological depth which defines our salvation through the risen Christ always transfers into life practice. And so we see here Paul beginning to lay this outline of our position theologically, but then he says in the midst of that, in verses 1 and 3, some practice, practices of that. Our purpose, our resurrected purpose is found in a couple things that we see here. Number one, we see that Paul says we are to seek the things that are above. So part of our resurrected purpose then is to seek the things that are in heaven. And so Paul's not so much saying that we are to seek to possess the things above as if we're trying to find them. We're not, we're not striving to discover, 
to find, to uncover some spiritual reality that's already been given us in Christ. Rather, we are living to make that heavenly status that has been given us through Christ, we are living to make that heavenly status the guidepost for all of our thinking and acting. And notice, Paul uses the present tense here, which means that it's a constant occupation for the Christian. We are to constantly be seeking, constantly orienting ourselves to the heavenly realities that we have been raised to. This is what Paul is remembering as he thinks on the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 6, when Christ looked at his disciples and said, Seek primarily, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Orient yourself to the things that I have called you to. And all these other things will be added to you, Christ says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is the language Paul's adopting here. The defining characteristic of a Christian is one who lives in such a way that our heavenly status in Christ is the guidepost for all of our thinking and acting, which leads to the second practice here of the resurrected purpose. And that is that we think differently. Paul says in verse 3, set your minds on things that are above. So not only are we to be actively seeking and orienting ourselves to the things of God, but we are to think differently. Our renewed mind is now to be used to focus on, to think on, to contemplate on the ascended Christ. After all, Christ is the one that we love, right? Christ is the one that we seek after. And so it is Christ that we praise with an overflowing heart. And so as we praise him, we should think on what makes him praiseworthy. We should think on what are his likes and dislikes, what pleases him. We are to dwell upon the magnificence of his holiness For as we think on these things, we mature. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, Paul says that the purpose of his writings here is that all saints would reach maturity. And one of the ways that we reach maturity is to think on Jesus Christ. And when we think on Christ as opposed to thinking on ourselves, we live in the the stability of his satisfied work. And so we are to think and seek differently That's our resurrected purpose. And Paul goes on here, and I want you to look at verse 5 with me here, as he begins to then shift a bit more practically. So he does some concepts regarding seeking and thinking, and then he gets a little specific regarding the resurrected purpose of the Christian, specifically with what we are to put off, what we are to put on. And so if we look at verse 5 here, Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. And I want you to notice that in these next few verses, verses 5 through 8, there's a list of sins that we are to put off. In essence, take off that clothing. Take off that garment. In fact, he also says in verse 5, uses a very strong language of actually killing those things within you. And so in this list of sins, if you count them up, there's 10 sins that he lists. And they're actually divided into two clumps. One, the first clump, the first five here, we have the sins of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Those first five we could probably lump together as saying these are the sins of seeking pleasure as the ultimate goal. Kill those behaviors that lie to your heart. Kill those behaviors that tell you that the goal of life is pure pleasure and more of it. Uh, That is what those things who do not know Christ seek after, but those of us who know Christ now seek after different things. Now right now some of you are saying, well, Christianity is all about getting rid of pleasure. That's not true at all. 
Christianity is about finding the depth of true pleasure in Jesus Christ. The psalmist in chapter 16, verse 11, a beautiful psalm, something that we should reflect on regularly. The psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so perhaps what we are actually seeking on this earth isn't true pleasure, but simply an imitation, something temporary, something fleeting. I think of the words of C.S. Lewis in this regard when he wrote in The Weight of Glory regarding our pursuit of pleasure. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think of that last phrase frequently. We are far too easily pleased. And so Paul is saying here, put to death therefore those things which are imitations of the true pleasure that can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Stop living in and for temporary pleasures in the shallow pleasures of this earth and realize that in Christ is beauty, is healing, is true pleasure. And so he says that in the first five sins there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. But then he goes on and lists another five in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. This second clump of sins probably could be defined as sins where we pursue and impose our power on other people. Sins of the pleasure in verses, verse 5 and sins of power in verse 8. Paul is saying that as a Christian, as someone who is following and beholden to Christ... The practice of your life is dramatically different. No longer are you to live in such a fashion where it is your kingdom that you are protecting or your kingdom that you are forcing on others. Your anger, your wrath, your malice, your slander, your strong language, all those things are used to promote yourself. And as a Christian, that's not who we are to be anymore. We are not to promote ourselves. We are to promote the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so then Paul says, take those things off and now, put on a new way. Verse 10, put on the new self. And what is this new self? This new self is something that is being renewed day by day. Look at verse 10 with me. The new self which is being renewed. It's a practice. It's a daily reality. As you and I walk on this earth, we will consistently be renewed. Consistently be renewed. And how is it that we are renewed? By the knowledge of our Savior being grown within us. The new self, we are told by Paul in other passages, specifically in 2 Corinthians, the new self is being renewed internally, day by day, even as we waste away outwardly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It's being transformed from one degree to another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This new self is renewed with new sensitivities, towards the things of God, new desire to honor him with the life that he gives you. There's a new self. Put that on. Intentionally wake in the moment, in the morning, with the reality that today I will honor God with the day that he has given me. Which leads now to verses 12 through 14. Paul then gets specific on what that looks like, what this new self looks like, and he says, 
There's specific traits that should mark the life of a Christian. Specifically, he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, verse 13. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And here's what binds it all together. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The reality is, I want you to pause and look at those traits. There's five of them there. And realize that those traits are the traits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have seen in very specific ways. Christ's compassion. Let's think on that for a second. He wept over the lost in Jerusalem. Christ's kindness. Think of the kind acts you see in Christ as he applauded the woman who anointed his feet with ointment. Think of Christ's humility as he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Think of Christ's patience as he spoke repeatedly with the disciples to help them understand his true identity and true purpose in earth. Think of Christ's forgiveness as he pronounced it ultimately on the cross. To put these virtues that Paul lists here is to put on Christ. This is another theme of Paul. In Romans 13, verse 14, he says, but put on Christ. And then there's a reaction that comes when you put on Christ. In Romans 13, verse 14, Paul says, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. The reality is that as you put on Christ, the flesh will be exposed and be replaced with affection for him. And so we live as Christians in a resurrected position to a resurrected purpose which results in a resurrected peace. That's the last part of our talk today. There's a resurrected peace that we walk in. Paul concludes his teaching to the Colossians in verses 15 through 17 by emphasizing that there is to be peace that rules within our hearts. A peace that we only have because of the work of Christ. It's a peace that is most certainly positional between us and God but it's also practical in the way in which we live our life. And it's practical, we know that, because it says in verse 15, the scriptures say that this peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. And there's a practical reality to that. There's a ruling that must take place. And that ruling is to help us define how to live in specific situations. The Greek word there for rule actually carries with it the, the picture, the meaning of an umpire. I know we don't have baseball right now, but we all can longingly remember the umpires who render verdicts in contest, contested situations. And so this idea here, Paul is saying that the peace of Christ is to be a decisive factor in all areas of life. Specifically, look at your passage here, you'll see that Paul says that peace is to impact the way in which we relate to one another. As Christians, Christ has left us his peace, John 16, And that peace is to unite us. And those things which divided us previously should no longer be cause for division. Look at verse 11. I mean, he lists a listing of people that are contrasted with one another. And he says, Christ is all and in all. There now is to be no more cause for division it is absolutely inconceivable that those who share with one another the benefits of the great peace of the cross should live with hatred to one another. 
Oh, how much misery would be avoided if we as Christians permitted the peace of Christ to umpire our hearts. So, but how do we grow this peace within us? Well, in verse 16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Peace is grown by the gospel within us. The idea is that as the word of Christ, the gospel, dwells in us, it's actually meaning that the word of Christ is making us its dwelling. It sets up shop within us. The more that we engage the word, the more that the word of God actually engages us. And so the word of Christ causes us to be overwhelmed and filled with thankfulness to the God who redeems and sustains us. And so when we live in constant exposure to the gospel, the peace of the gospel grows within us. And that results in a different purpose for our life, a different way in which we view all of life. The very last thing that Paul says as he concludes this passage in verse 17 is that whatever we do, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. That's what the peace of the gospel does. The peace of the gospel corrects our understanding of our usage of our time and of our abilities. And as Paul concludes this, he says, here's why you live as Christians in this world. You live as Christians in this world so that the why of your life is properly represented by the work of Jesus Christ. The why of our life is to live in glory to the Father in heaven through a glorious representation of of the resurrected life we have through Jesus Christ. And so as we work, we work in the power of the resurrected life. As we parent, we parent in the power of the resurrected life. As we are good neighbors, we are good neighbors in that resurrected life of Christ. Ultimately, ultimately that the name of Christ would be glorified. The Father would be glorified. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the old life is gone and the new life in Christ has come. Perhaps you are like Augustine. You've probably heard of Augustine. St. Augustine was not always a saint. In 386, Augustine one day was walking and was reflecting on the frustration of his life. And he realized that his life had been lived towards temporary pleasures. A life of loose living and a search for answers to life's basic questions, and he had neither of those things. No answers, no joy. And so at this time, he was teaching, and he went to hear the preaching of St. Ambrose. He went because Ambrose was an excellent speaker, and he wanted to hear a good speech. But the bishop's preaching led Augustine to a new understanding of the Bible and of the Christian faith. He didn't follow Christ at that point, but he was intrigued, and things began to work and percolate in his heart. Sometime later in that year, 386, Augustine and his friend Olypius were spending time in Milan, and while outdoors, they were walking, and Augustine heard the voice of a child singing a song, and the words were, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. And he thought at first that song was some kind of a child's game, but he never remembered hearing that before. And then realizing, as he reflected on the sermon that he heard from Ambrose, perhaps this was God telling him to pick up the Bible. So he located a Bible, he picked it up, he opened it and read the first passage that he saw, and it was from the letter of Paul to the Romans. And Augustine read, 
not in carousing or drunkenness, not in excess of sex or lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. And at this moment, after hearing a child's song and reading the word of God, he felt as if his heart were flooded with life. He turned from his life of sin and was baptized on Easter of 387. And this is his reflection. Augustine said, How sweet did it suddenly become to me to be free of the sweets of folly. Things that I once feared to lose, it was now a joy to put away. You cast them forth for me, my sweet Savior. You are the, the true and highest sweetness. You cast the, forth the ways of the old life, and instead you entered in. You were sweeter than every pleasure. Augustine realized what many of us have realized as Christians. That in the resurrected Christ, we can live in a resurrected position to a resurrected purpose with a resurrected peace. It's my prayer for us all today that we would be surrendered to the power of Christ's resurrection within us. And perhaps today, this is a foreign concept to you. I want to invite you, friends, that wherever you may find yourself and your heart, Perhaps this time has allowed you to have moments of introspection where you realize you have yet to experience the peace of Jesus Christ. It's our desire at Old North that you would respond to the call of God today. And if you would like to do so, I invite you to pray with me as we close out our time. So Father, we thank you for this message that speaks of the power of your resurrection. We recognize that the power of our salvation lies firmly in the sufficiency of your sacrifice and so today father god for those of us who have never called you savior i pray that we would indeed in this very moment confess our sins before you and in confession realize the sufficiency of your sacrifice on our behalf we hear the words of christ when on the cross you said it is finished the payment for our sins is complete the old life is gone, the new has come, even as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And so, Lord, we ask that this day that those who are not yours would be called yours. Those who are far off would be drawn near. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, Lord, may we live in the power of that resurrection. May every day be an opportunity to bring you glory, for you alone are worthy of it. We pray all these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.